And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello everyone, I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils This is a dedicated Manchester United podcast from The Athletic Today we are going to go over 120 minutes of pretty drab football and 22 at least 21 very impressive penalties. Manchester United lost the Europa League final against Villarreal on Wednesday night. It was weird. It was strange. I've got Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten with me uh, reporting from their wonderful hotel rooms in Gdansk, Poland. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Laurie. Laurie, how are you feeling? Tired. You know, we're talking about players having fatigue. Uh, you know, what about the journalists? World's smallest violin there. I'm all right. Me and Andy discovered we were in the same hotel last night on the taxi on the way back, which was nice. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's one of those where you come away from the game and, you know, you've got to write a piece that it wasn't really the piece you thought you were going to write. You know, I sort of, we had something prepared if, if United had won. It's difficult to get straight into it. A match report is one thing you can kind of, you know, if you if you go into a game knowing you need to do a match report and you sort of write the run of play and, and you know, you do a top and it's fine. To analyse it is a bit different and I needed to take some time away. I had a bit of a chat with a couple of lads uh, at a bar outside in Gdansk. There's, United fans were still out, good sort of good spirits, to be fair. Just having a few chilled beers, I think. Then got back, had a beer with a couple of other guys that are staying in the hotel and then got to writing. So I think I'm currently on about three hours sleep. It was 5am local time by the time I went to bed. Sunlight, sunlight outside, but um, it's, it's, you know, we get such privilege uh, doing this kind of job and it, it was a special thing to actually be there last night. So I'm, I'm very, you know, uh, grateful for that. But um, yeah, there are, there is another side to the job as well. So hopefully I can stay awake for the rest of this podcast. It was an excellent piece, as is yours, Andy, covering it a little bit from the Villarreal side. Uh, did it sting writing about how happy the Villarreal fans might be today? Like Laurie, I'm I'm tired and I'm and I'm gutted. And that piece was put on me right at the last minute. And it was in the event of Villarreal winning, can you write 800 words about that? And I'm thinking, well, I'm already completely up against it. But yeah, I will do it because you, you you just have to do it. But I was also thinking, I won't need to do it. <laughs> I said to Laurie, an hour before the game. I'm 60% confident that United will win. And I think Laurie said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by 60%? What if it was 20%? And I just said, I think United are favourites, but Villarreal are good. I've watched them a lot this year. And I ended up at two in the morning sending a message to a man I'd met last week in Villarreal who really left an impression on me about his background story, about his son passing away. And I was happy for him, gutted for United, gutted for the travelling fans, for the players. I spoke to Ollie after the game. There was a real sadness in his eyes, even though what he said made, made sense. And not had any sleep and it's raining in, in Gdansk and Laurie and I have got a view over like, no, it's, it's not the, never be on a, a postcard of Gdansk to it. I'm, I'm disappointed. Your um, Villarreal coloured fleece has brightened me up, Carl. I've got to say that. So cheers for that, mate. <laughs> Uh, let's get into this game then. Both of you were in Gdansk. You're in the stadium covering things. I was watching on television. Uh, I 
just about managed to watch that shootout through pained eyes. How did it end up going to penalty shootouts, Laurie? What happened over that 90 minutes? It wasn't a good performance by Manchester United overall, was it? There was a moment in the second half where it felt like they got the momentum. They were attacking Villarreal with something that was strangely absent in the first half. It, it seemed that they expected the game just to go their way ultimately. It was too slow around the back. There wasn't enough incision. And Villarreal, you know, their their structure, their shape could repel it pretty straightforwardly. You know, United were the better team, I would say, but it, it took, you know, Mason Greenwood to take on his his marker on the right to, to kind of create a chance. It the, the, the moments that United had success were when the players got the ball, you know, did something with it or injected a bit of urgency into the passing. Whereas there were times aside from that where it looked like they just, as I say, expected the the game to go their way. A set piece, Villarreal, again, another set piece. Victor Lindelof, should he block off the guy better? Um, Gerard should Luke Shaw track him better? It was a sharp run, clearly. Um, it was a good ball into the box. Could De Gea have done better? It, it just felt another one of those set piece situations that were too easy for the opposition to score. I did think that they came out better in the second half. So clearly, again, you know, you've written about it, Carl, the, the comeback that United have within them. I think they do say good stuff to them at halftime, useful stuff because they, they came out and it was fortunate with the goal. Yeah, so people can still criticise United and say there was two shots on target all game um, and the, the goal that you know United scored was a deflection and fell fortuitously for Cavani to score. I, I still think United deserved to get the equaliser at that stage. Um, in the stadium, I'm sort of reminded <laughs> that when you're in the stadium and the VAR's happening and you've got fans and, and nobody knows what's you know what's going on, it's, it's, it's that sort of... Um, idiosyncrasy that we'd kind of forgotten about I suppose with fans being out but um, yeah so uh, you know, and then when when it got confirmed that he was onside there was such a you know uh, Bruno turned to the fans and was whipping up the crowd and, and, and they they set off from that kickoff like hairs racing around the track and it looked like they were they really got the bit between their teeth and then it, it sort of just eventually as the, as the game wore on dissipated and clearly the an extra time was was pretty much a waste of time really it was that was a sort of awkward situation where it was Solskjaer trying to figure out who he was going to put on clearly with a mind on penalties at the end of it which I'm a little bit concerned about you know half an hour is still there to go and win the game clearly there was Solskjaer did not feel that his substitutions, the people on his bench, would make a difference in that game. He felt that the 11 that he started, and I think you have to say the 11 that he started felt like the right team, you know. It was a strong, yeah. strong 11. I, we were both all in the match chat and whatnot, on, on text and whatnot, saying we thought one of Pogba or one of Marcus Rashford would start. We thought, mate, it would be Fred probably in the pivot rather than Scott McTominay. And then to see Solskjaer play everyone, it was a bit... Bit surprising, I was going to say. It looked as if he wanted to end that game in 90 minutes for sure. Yes, exactly that. Yeah, he, he obviously has gone there thinking my players arrested after you know being um, rotated out of the Wolves game, um, and I'm going to pick my best team that I, th- I think can win this game. Fred, he said afterwards or before actually that, that Fred had been a bit injured, so you know maybe that was a consideration. But still, the team he picked felt like the right one. You know, I know Pogba prefers to be a bit more advanced. Um, but I think he, he had a few flourishes of, of passes from deep that, that really made a bit of a difference. But overall, I don't think he, he stepped up. You know, I think Marcus Rashford had a difficult game. I think he, he, I mean, some of the skill that he did in the first half was outrageous to, to beat his man. But then I felt like he was trying 
a bit too much shooting from from distances that weren't really going to be beneficial. I thought Mason Greenwood did, did pretty well. You know, I thought he was probably the standout attacker for United. Bruno Fernandes didn't have a good game. Scott McTominay was was the best performer for me. I know that Solskjaer mentioned after the game that he was his man of the match. And I think the way he carried the ball, he, he got the ball on the turn in midfield and drove with it. And that troubled Villarreal. You know, you could see chances coming from that, but United never really put a consistency together of those attacking plays in the final third. And, and that meant that Villarreal could actually, you know, just a bit more comfortable. The pressure wasn't applied. But I think go, just going back to the substitutions, that is obviously something that you can look at it two ways. Should Solskjaer, I think you have obviously in a recent piece, you know, should Solskjaer rotate his squad more throughout the season so that it doesn't feel like when it comes to a big crunch match like this, the substitution is a step down from what he started with or... You know, we've seen when he has rotated that the players that have come in haven't done the job. So a bit of a catch-22 situation there. You know, you've got Donny van der Beek there, who was United's major summer signing last year, £40 million, did not get on the off the bench with five substitutions. If that isn't a sign that something is wrong with that situation, you know, I don't know what is. You know, was he somebody who Solskjaer absolutely wanted or was he someone that United could get? And that is the situation that we go into this summer window with. And United need to address that. Again, Ahmad, he showed some really good flourishes against Wolves. Um, and in that training session, you know, that we watched before the, the final in the Grand Stadium, I suppose Solskjaer's thought was, who would he, who would I take off to put him on that I think Ahmad will be a better bet than, than this player? And he might have to take a penalty. And for an 18-year-old, that is a lot of pressure, I think, you know, um, at your new club. I think Ahmad seems to have a, a pretty cool to take such a, a pressure situation and go with it. But, you know, he was, a, a you know, a £37 million player. I'm still going to call him a £37 million player because that was the deal. Yeah. And But he was someone for the future. So you've, 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 you've spent £80 million on two players last summer who haven't come off the bench in your a prestige moment, something's not right there. Is that Solskjaer not trusting them or is that they aren't actually good enough to make that difference in that moment? I would argue it's a bit of both, but I want to throw this over to Andy first because over the course of this Europa League final build-up, you have spoken about how good Valeria are. You've had an excellent interview with Danny Parejo um, talking about the defensive organisation they have and almost how they almost preferred being the underdog. You said there was going to be a point in time where they can defend as a collective. And that's what we saw in that final. So United played a whole bunch of attackers all trying to do a bit individual brilliance, but the front three didn't really quite click. Is this a case of Unai Emery doing a tactical masterclass on Solskjaer? Yes, in so much as he had a game plan and I spoke to Kapue after the match and he said his role was to push Bruno Fernandes back. And I think he was quite effective in doing that. I think he was man of the match. And MRI, he he stood his opponents in meticulous detail. He always has done. He's got an incredible record in this competition. He's won it four times. And when I spoke to Parejo for the Athletic, he said, we're comfortable when we get an advantage, defending that advantage. And as soon as he went ahead... You could see that. And technically, they're excellent. They had two better central defenders than Manchester United have got, probably even when Maguire is fit. You had the experience of, of Albion and you had Paul Torres, who's more of a ball-playing uh, defender, one who United have been watching closely. So tactically, it worked for them. And I said to Kapue, what did Emery say to you at half-time? 
and he just said, carry on with this game plan. It's working. You're going to be put under even more pressure. One thing Paul Torres said to me was the physical side of the United team. That was the mm-hmm. most difficult thing for them. You know, if United were playing in La Liga, they would be classed as a very physically strong team. But to, to the earlier part of the question, it's not the first time that United's attackers, despite being so good when it all clicks, such as against Manchester City away or against PSG, there's been so many times when they struggle to break down teams who defend deeply. And I was watching that Villarreal shape last night and where Laurie and I sat, we had really privileged positions to be right on top of it. It was quite a tight stadium, even though it was a big stadium. And you could just see them retreat into this block. And they were so comfortable in that. And it wasn't kicking the ball away. In Danny Parejo, you've got a player who is technically better than his equivalents in the same position at, at Manchester United. So they knew that they were going to have less possession, but they called it right in terms of the substitutions that they made. And even in terms of the fans, the, the Villarreal fans were louder than the United fans all night. I think they were pretty similar in numbers, but they were better organised. And I don't think you can criticise the United fans because it was so difficult for them to get there. So it was very disparate following, spread out. There was no nucleus, whereas Villarreal is such a small club. All of the hardcore went. So they all knew each other and Mm -hmm. they were the ones who were singing throughout the 90 minutes. After 20 minutes, they were singing, Si se puede, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And that became the background to the whole game for me because they just never stopped singing it. And the United fans, after Cavani had scored, were singing attack, 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 attack. But it was mainly the Villarreal fans. And I just had this sense of foreboding. Um, I I didn't write, I didn't tweet it. I just thought it's just not going to be Manchester United tonight, this, and maybe I was going to be completely wrong there. But no, it, it was deeply frustrating and, the margins are small. A couple more penalty kicks, United Trophy, we'd be pumped up with adrenaline. The tone of this podcast would be completely different, but that's how it is at top-level sport. And United have now gone four years without a trophy, and that's not good enough. Manchester United should be winning trophies. Ollie should be winning trophies. We'll get into the penalties just a little bit, but let's talk about something that a number of listeners have brought in. One question from Yarek. T going um, about substitutions. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't make a substitution until the 111th minute, and that was to bring on Fred. Uh, Laurie, you just mentioned there about how you thought Scott McTominay was a good player and how indeed Solskjaer thought it. And you mentioned the physicality of the English teams there. Watching the television, what I saw after Cavani's goal was a nice period of time between the 70th and 90th minute, which tends to be when United get that comeback victory. United are a very physically fit team. Solskjaer's done really well in terms of periodization. I've talked to him about that before. And you could see in the 70th minute when Villarreal legs were beginning to tire, there were more space to open up. And that's when Scott McTominay was able to pick up the ball and drive it a bit more forward. But what we saw was Unai Emery emptied out his subs bench. He made five subs in regular time. He swapped his fullback crucially. So when Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford might have eked out some more space, there were fresher legs, less tiring, and that space got immediately closed off. Solskjaer didn't make subs. Valerial's nickname is the Yellow Submarine. Laurie, should he have seen the signs coming earlier? I actually uh, got a text uh, from a Liverpool supporting mate on full time uh, just 
with uh, a video gif of the yellow submarine which um with the Beatles reference, he obviously reveled in. Fair enough, I have sent him a few messages this season when Liverpool have lost at home and asked him if there's any football on TV, so I probably deserved it. I was watching it thinking, I'm not sure who we can bring on to make a difference. At that, In the second half, I thought all the players that were on the pitch were, were, were doing enough. I know that some players didn't play their best, but I don't, you know, Rashford scored 20 goals, 13 assists this season, or something like that. You know, he's, he's had a good... He, he can deliver in big moments and, and he's, there's been times before where I've thought he probably needs to come off and then he's gone and scored. Bruno Fernandes likewise, Mason Greenwood, you know, he was looking probably the most threatening. So I was sort of thinking who, who do you, and Edison Cavani, you know, he, he was still running around like a maniac. So I was sort of thinking who, who do you take off to then put somebody on? Ahmad? Donny? I mean, Dan James ultimately came on. I feel like with Villarreal, clearly their squad is more even, you know, so it's probably, you know, swapping like for like a bit more. So you are getting fresher legs and obviously that, you know, that in, in the extra time, that's told because it just meant that it was a non-event really. You know, I know Villarreal probably had a couple of small openings that they didn't really benefit from, but it meant that United couldn't really aggressively attack them. Um, it was a case of sort of it, just time elapsing really I, mean, I didn't is it bad that I didn't think Villarreal were, were that good they were beatable I know I'm, I'm going to get a little bit heated <laughs> Villarreal are eminently beatable Etienne Capoue yes okay he was man of match I'm going to be mildly disrespectful here and say <laughs> he played for Watford and I understand Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's approach with substitutes. I've spent many a time looking at his substitute profile. I know he likes to make his first sub in the 62nd, 63rd minute, and I know he likes to bring on the Mayim to close things off in the 85th. I know he's a plan A, wait and see, because Greenwood might have an amazing shot or Bruno might do a great pass. I think that works in a league format where eventually everything eases out and one, you know, one thing or another, your, your talent shows. I think in a cup competition, that's a weakness. Because the longer a game goes on and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, when people are getting tired and mm. people are getting frustrated and people are losing faith in their schemes, the less likely it, it is to happen. You can't quite rely on Manchester United luck all the time. And Solskjaer, while he likes to invoke Manchester United past, Ferguson used, he emptied his subs bench a lot in these cup competitions. The only reason, I mean, I'm not going to say the only reason, one big reason why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a hero is because Ferguson emptied his bench in a certain cup competition. So I know you can't say there's no one of quality, of similar quality to bring off the bench, but at some point in time, you do need to bring up, make a change. One, just have fresh legs. So you have someone doing the same plan, but less tired or two, to just give Villarreal something new to think about. Mm, yeah. There were points where I'm going, you, either, you know, remove Pogba and bring on Fred and just go, we'll just, put that base on and try and do more current attacks or indeed remove Matt Rashford who was not having a great game and move Pogba to the left and say if they want to play in a low block we'll just move Pogba one of our best passes so we can make better passes closer to the penalty area I'm making myself sad here Andy please I'm not making sense <laughs> you are and your point about Kapue is a good one he played for Watford actually I think him and Decore were the best players when Watford last came to Old Trafford. <laughs> they do, did really well. But we're talking to someone here who was a fringe player at, at Tottenham Hotspur who looked last night that his, all of his dreams had come true. And if Manchester United would have had Keane in the middle and Scholes, w would uh, Kapui have been man of the match? I think you're leading back into an issue there about the technical levels. Although I thought Scott McTominay was probably United's best player. I think his drive was really impressive. Too many of the players didn't turn up. And we can big up or talk down Villarreal 
the fact is they are the seventh best team in Spain. United mm-hmm. have easily got past teams around them in the league. Real Sociedad finished higher than them. United put four past. Granada, United got past them pretty comfortably. It's not like United have played Atletico Madrid in the final. Victory in this final takes Villarreal from the Europa Conference next season into the Champions League. That's quite a little feat there. You're right though, Carl. I mean, it's, you know, and Andy's right in terms of saying, you know, seventh best team in the league. This United should be beating these teams. You know, their team, their squad costs the sixth of United's. You know, you talk about financials and ultimately um, who has the most money usually wins stuff. And in this situation, United have failed. Solskjaer, to be fair to him afterwards, was open about that. Not a successful season. No uh, bones about it. Um, I suppose it's one thing acknowledging that and, and understanding that and appreciating that. It's another thing to then be able to do something to address it. And yeah, I think you, I think you're right on, on the substitutions. Try something different. He, he needs he needs to get to a situation next season where it is a more equitable share amongst the first team players and, and squad. You know, to, to have really sort of 14, 15 first team players that you could pick and, and be yeah, they're genuine first teamers. It was a similar situation really last season against Sevilla. You know when. He didn't mm-hmm. make any subs because he he basically didn't think he could change anything from the bench, and that's why he wanted Sancho. You know, um, that's probably why he still wants Sancho. But you know, United added Edison Cavani to that squad and Donny Van der Beek. That's where we are. Um, you know, Anthony Marshall's injured, so it's it's basically a, a sort of rinse and repeat from Sevilla. It needs to be, it needs to be different next season. Uh, I accept that Solskjaer has questions to answer and I think he will I think he will ask himself those questions I think that's one thing that I do admire about him that he's not above he doesn't doubt himself he's got very strong self-belief and confidence but he will look at decisions that he's made with open eyes and, and see if he needs to adjust anything Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From substitutions to penalties, yeah, to also ask, why was David Haye not substituted ahead of the penalty shootout? He's only ever saved one penalty versus Arsenal at the start of his career. Solskjaer put on Mata and Tellez on to take penalties, but not Henderson to save them. This was, I mean, a heart-wrenching penalty shootout for me. I was stood up, knelt down, rolling around the floor. Couldn't quite get my head around it. Laurie, what was it like in the stadium? What was... 
What was the conversation around Bruno Fernandes opting to go second after winning the coin toss? Yes, there's two points there, isn't there? There's, the, there's Bruno Fernandes going second and there's, there's David De Gea being the guy in between the sticks. Um, I will slightly correct Yarrick. He, De Gea did save a, a penalty against Everton in the uh, FA Cup. Uh, Romelu Lukaku was a really good save, actually. Um, that was 2016. But his point stands that since that since that moment, De Gea has faced, and admittedly now it's an, another 11 from, from last night, but he's faced 40 penalties for club and country and he's not saved them and last night he didn't look like he was going to save them uh, he looked short of self-belief and when penalties are such a psychological game between taker and saver hopefully <laughs> giving that presence making the guy that's stepping up to try and take something have that doubt to, to make him think you're going to save it you've got to do some stuff you know you've got to give that impression and it just it looked like he was uncertain you know he dived out of the way he, he was um we could see from our stands that he had. That he was looking at his towel, and I was thinking, is he is he looking for some divine intervention? Is there, you know a, a shroud in there that, that we, you know we can't quite make out? But obviously, then it, it transpired that he had notes on these penalty takers where they preferred to go, and I've not gone back through it all exactly, but you know checked a couple, and, and he did, he doesn't follow the instructions on a couple, and a, co- a few of them were, were, were central, you know, and and I was thinking there on the night saying just stay on your, just stay in the middle and see what happens, you know, don't di- he dived out the way of a few, and you're thinking okay it's gone, you know he's not got any close to it, but if he'd have stayed there, would he have made the kicker do something different you know would he have made the kicker try and put it more in the corner and then he hits the post or something um i, I think back to dean henderson's uh sort of penalty save it wasn't really a save but uh, against um real sociedad uh and the uh the player that took the penalty had scored his previous 16 um and he, he does a shuffle and uh, he, but De Gea sort of, Henderson sort of stays there and he, he balloons it over the bar and you know it's sort of it's that kind of cat and mouse almost a game of poker that you kind of want your goalkeeper to have presence on and De Gea just didn't seem to have it there was it, I found it curious that you had Bruno Fernandes Edison Cavani Axel Twanzebe go over to him after they'd scored their penalties and really engage him in conversation as if they were geeing him up like as if they felt that he needed this kind of coddling uh, approach to please you know you can do it have faith there was Richard Hartis um, near the near the dugout he was sort of making eye contact with De Gea and kind of holding up one finger as if to say you would just need one save you know which it transpired was the case United scored 10 penalties and lost a penalty shootout you know um, it's it's really you know it's unheard of really and then that brings me on to your question about Bruno Fernandes, which is uh, something I hadn't noticed you know you know it's, it's there's lots going on uh our editor Alex Kajelski calls me up and said, Bruno chose to go second. And I'm thinking, no, please, that can't be the case. But it did confuse me that United were going second and uh, in front of the, the Villarreal fans. But you take two different coin tosses, fine. Um, but yeah, given the choice of, of when to go, he, he chose second. Uh, the referee who, who was... I could not get my head around a lot of his decisions uh, last uh, last night, the referee, but on this one... A little strange he was. <laughs> referee Clement Turpin uh, from France. He, uh, yeah, I mean, some of his, his calls were, were, were very odd, um, but he he himself, you know, realised that Fernandes perhaps was making a mistake because he asked him again <laughs> to just double check. Um, and yeah, Fernandes, he, he obviously didn't know. So you know, there's a statistic out there. There's been research done that 
um, you have a 60% chance of winning a penalty shootout if you, if you go first. We're sort of back to that 60% confidence, Andy. Um, <laughs> so maybe Villarreal had the 60% confidence once, uh, you know, th- they were going first. Um, and that's why, you know, that new system was trialed. The other system, you know, one, you know, one team takes one, then the next team takes two, then two, then two, you know, like in tennis, um, you know, it hasn't stuck around, but, you know, clearly there's a, there's a reason why uh, teams like to go first. United went first in 2008 and, and that proved successful. Um, and it just meant that every time a United player passed the fourth penalty, so I think seven takers, it was they had to score to stay in the competition. And that is an acute mm-hmm. pressure. It's a different pressure to being level and, and trying to score to go ahead. You know, you know you've got a kind of insurance policy with your keeper unless he's David De Gea trying to save a penalty in the next one. Sorry, that was a bit cheap. But, um, you know, so it's a different pressure. And you could see that with Luke Shaw, for example, his penalty was, you know, tinged with anxiety, I think. Um, He was really relieved. You could see when... um, John O'Reilly didn't quite make it. Um, and and, and it, that was one of the occasions when, so twice Villarreal players in the halfway line started to set off to sprint in celebration because they thought that you know, the goalkeeper went the right way. It was for Fred the first time, but his penalty was really good, you know, powerful. Um, Shaw's was a little bit close to the bone. Third time lucky, they set off sprinting when David De Gea went to that side again, uh, really saved it. And yeah, it, but th- those, those moments... Would they have made a difference? I don't know. Would Would Bruno Fernandes saying, yeah, we want to go first, have then added a little bit of anxiety into a Villarreal player who, you know, would, would do something? I, we don't know, do we? But it's those decisions about, about De Gea, about when to take a penalty. In hindsight, you look back and think, what if? Hindsight is a fascinating beast. I will tell you what I thought throughout that shootout. Uh, my first thought was... In the early set-off, I thought, oh, they're putting all the penalties down the middle. De Gea needs to figure out what's going on. Then I had a moment that I think quite a few fans had, which was go, Fred? Really confused. And then when he scored, I went, Fred! Um, going, thank you very much. I think I had a similar feeling when Axel Twenzebi stepped up. He didn't look as if he'd score, and then he scored. Uh, I quite enjoyed quite enjoyed Marcus Rashford's uh, express, expression of emotion after scoring his penalty. You could see that meant a lot as well. Uh, and then I'd say, I think after the eighth, maybe seventh penalty, I thought, De Gea is not going to save one of these. I, I, I had a terrible feeling going, he's not going to score, he's not going to score, save any of these penalties. We're now relying on a Villarreal player to blaze one over the bar or hit the post. Andy, what were your feelings watching that shootout? What was the referee's name again, Laurie? Have I got it? Uh, ter- are you, so you're going to make a joke about Turpin? <laughs> Dick Turpin. Yeah. <laughs> It all starts to make sense now. We've got Dick Dick Turpin's son refereeing the match. <laughs> I, I, hate, I hated the penalties. I didn't enjoy them at all. I felt United were under pressure by uh, electing to go second. Uh, the penalties were exceptional from, from both teams. It was just awful watching it. I had a Villarreal fan to my right going absolutely crazy every time they, they put one in. Uh, you're right to make the point about David De Gea's poor record, saving penalties. And there was an odd bounce off, uh, from where I was sat f- for the goal, but he didn't have that much to do for the, for the rest of the game. In hindsight, would it have been better to bring Henderson on for the penalties? I mean, who knows? It's just so easy in football to be Harry Hindsight. And 20 penalties were scored and then De Gea took one against the person who 
I felt was probably the weakest player on the pitch, Ruyi, and he ends up making the key save and, and then they win the Europa League. It's not a fair way to decide a football game. Was I complaining in Moscow when Manchester United beat Chelsea on penalties? Not at all. Some you win, some you lose, and it feels absolutely awful when, when you lose them. I've seen Manchester United win European finals and felt that elation. And I was there in Rome, I was there at Wembley and I was in Gdansk and it's just a sickening feeling to come so far in pretty challenging circumstances this season with the pandemic and and to lose the game at the last. The, the, the margins are indeed fine. This is going to, it's a slightly morbid question from me, Andy, but you've been to some European final defeats. How does this one compare right now? Barcelona in 09 was the most gutting for me because I, I, I took my mum. My mum's an Old Trafford girl and and Barca battered United. And also, <laughs> I told all Barca fans and I've been on the Catalan media saying you shouldn't be so cocksure. And then two years later, I did exactly the same thing and was on Catalan TV saying United have learned their lesson from Rome and Barca were even better in the 2011 final, probably the best performance I've seen against Manchester United. So to lose a Champions League final hurts more than losing a Europa League final. But if you're asking me how I feel today, I feel absolutely crap. But that's probably a combination of a lack of adrenaline, a lack of a lack of sleep, and just this big come down. Because if United would have won the competition, we'd be saying second Europa League, build on this. The outlook would be completely different, but it's not, and it's as miserable as the weather in Gdansk or some of the industrial buildings which were close to the stadium, which were anything but prettified, like in, in the centre of the city. Look, to be a football fan, you've got to experience the bad moments to truly enjoy the good moments. And as Manchester United fans, we have been spoiled with success. Villarreal have never even been to a final before. It's not a team that wins trophies but expectations are not un unreasonable because of Manchester United's support because of their outlay because of the salaries that the players are on but that it, it just feels crap and I'm not going to dress it up any other way and we're there as supporters as journalists we're invested in it but we weren't on the pitch and a lot of people I think will be will be suffering today well said Andy some astute observations on what's been a Interesting season. Laurie, I want to get your thoughts here. Um, Ollie said, was asked, can you count the season like success? And he gave a pretty curt no. Um, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I'd agree with him. And same as Andy, you know, Europa League um, success would have meant um, silverware and it would have been a moment to cherish. Solskjaer, May 26, in front of Fergie, you know, it, it was all lined up, wasn't it? Um, as it happened, it's extremely disappointing. And, you know, look at the Premier League season. They've added eight points onto last season. That's fine. That's that's decent. But next season is going to be a real uh, barometer. Um, what I did quite enjoy was, enjoy probably is the wrong word, um, reflect on in a, in, a, in a pleasing way is Solskjaer's uh, work in the press conference afterwards. I think he gave honest answers. I think he um, it came across with conviction. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't nervous. He, I, I've sort of half suspected that he might be a little bit uncertain as to what to say, but actually he had clear thoughts in his mind. 
he obviously spoke about the need to add in the summer, but he also spoke on a human level. I think that's something that he's done really well this season. He's understood his players in a difficult situation and he spoke about going away. Now you can either go on holiday and, and, and do nothing and kind of feel sorry for yourself or you can come back ready, refreshed with a, a drive to start the season well because they didn't start the season well, did they? Um, obviously, there's mitigating factors for that, but he very plainly wants this an opportunity to go for players to reflect and to come back stronger, you know, defeat from defeat. They, they can actually emerge um, a better unit, a better people. Um, and I think in that to that end, to be fair, Marcus Rashford's interview to BT Sport afterwards was extremely compelling. Yeah, as we've said, he didn't have his best game, but he spoke from the heart afterwards. You could tell it was um, off the cuff, but it was you know, said with real meaning about this kind of thing. You know, we will not quit. And yes, it's easy to say that in the aftermath of the game, but clearly the, the pain was still there. He could have shirked it. Um, and you, you could tell that that was it. Was, it was a moment to go, okay, right? He he's serious here. You know, this isn't something that you know players aren't going to be you know throwing the toys out the pram and, and thinking, no, this isn't for me anymore. This, this was a very firm flag in the ground moment from Rashford, and I, I I thought it was great to hear. So that at least gives a bit of comfort going into the summer. I'm trying. It's okay. It's not bad. Second place, Champions League football has been secured. Things will look up, and they please give me some reason to be encouraged today. I know that Ollie feels that he's got to bring at least two proven, ready to play, ready to start players in, not squad players, not ones who are hopes for the future. Bruno class players who can come in and help transform a team, which you could argue is taken to his limit because they're deficient when compared to Manchester City. I think there's a fine line now. I think it's a really important summer. United have got to recruit well this summer. No ifs or buts. Pick the mood back up off the floor. Start next season well, which they weren't able to do this season because of a lack of pre-season. Big summer for John Murta. Big summer for Darren Fletcher. Big summer for the Glazer family. They've got, got to put money in. And there's got to be signings that excite the fans. We can't be having the stop-start transfer window, which moved into this summer United have got to make a couple of statements that's what the manager wants he's the manager you've given him the job now you've got to give him more of the tools to do the job to continue to make uh, the improvements and it's all right saying there's 10 very exciting youth prospects who are going to be ready in three years time they're not ready now and United will be judged for now more intensely next season because in December Ollie will have been in the job for three years and He's not got a trophy to his name. Starts to, he needs to start winning trophies. The tools are almost all there. And United can and have been building to something special. We can only hope that next season, they win the big one. Other than that, uh, thank you, Laurie. And thank you, Andy, to help me with this uh, slightly downbeat Europa League final. I want to congratulate you both for not swearing, even though we did pull some very sad faces during the recording. Uh Andy, I'm going to let you go first because I know you need to get some sleep. So thank you, Andy. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> Thanks, Laurie. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you, Laurie. It's been an amazing season covering Manchester United with you. Cheers, Carl. Yes, absolutely. Let's hope that next season is, is even better. <laughs> and thank you, listener, for joining us for Talk of Devils. Uh, this has been the Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We'll be back with trophies one day. The Athletic.